Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You don't always have to like him. But you have to respect him. The Roy Green Show continues. The Roy Green Show continues on the Chorus Radio Network. And I've been waiting to do some uh, fairly uh, innocuous stories, but there's always some major stories that get in the way. I want to do innocuous story. One of the innocuous story I want to do is whether people actually ever get married on uh, online dating sites. Does that ever happen? See, this, I have these things in reserve, and then they never happen because we have major stories that matter developing. Now I'm going to get a lot of emails saying that matters. Let's talk about opioids. Let's talk about fentanyl. And we'll do it a little differently to what I've been hearing. It's fairly standard fare in media. Governments in Canada and the United States, from what we're told, are about to pass regulations limiting the amount of opioids which can be prescribed. This in order, again we're told, to combat the addictions and suicides reported. The issue, though... As I've been reading and as I've heard, as I've talked to people, is that it's rarely the patient who takes prescribed opioids to control torturous chronic pain. And uh, the word torturous I've heard more than once. It's rarely that patient who is a problem, but it's precisely that patient who may be harmed if regulations require the patient to take less in the way of opioid medication, or will maybe not get any. That's the fear as well. Professor David Yerlink joins me. He's the head of the Division of Clinical Pharmacology and Toxicology at the University of Toronto. He's a professor in the Departments of Medicine, Pediatrics, and Health Policy at the University of Toronto, and a key advisor on opioid policy to governments. We've talked once before, uh, Dr. Yerlink. Thank you very much for coming back on the show. My pleasure, Ryan. I looked at um, a column you wrote in the Globe and Mail in 2016, opioids, whatever happened to first do no harm. And, and you write, despite the best of intentions, we flooded North American homes with opioids purer and often stronger than heroin. These drugs increasingly fell into the wrong hands, destroying young lives and countless families in the process. Put a face to that for us, please. Well, I mean, there are many facets to this crisis, but one of the truths is that um, you know, a lot of pain medicines ended up in medicine cabinets, uh, and uh, it was, you know, not necessarily the patients themselves who, although many clearly were, um, but, you know, a curious 17-year-old or 21-year-old, you know, would try the pills because they were there and they figured they'd be safe because they came from a pharmacy. And that sort of scenario, the sort of experimentation with, you know, what were seemingly innocuous pills from a drugstore uh, for some people sent them down a pathway that uh, was very difficult to climb out of. Are there any numbers on how many people this would have happened to? How many cases of, of real significant health harm have taken place because of this scenario? Well, because of that specific scenario, no. I mean, we, we in Canada, we don't have very good stats on this. Um, I can tell you, you know, this is speculative, but somewhere in the vicinity of 25 or perhaps 30,000 people have died from opioids over the last 20 or so years. Um, that's going to include people who, you know, um, uh, were addicted and would have been addicted if doctors hadn't changed their prescribing practices as we have. Um, it includes people who 
know, developed addiction as the result of therapy. And it includes people like the, like the teens and, and 20-somethings I described to you earlier. But we really don't know. That's just the tip of the iceberg. That's just a tombstone, as it were. There are many, many other ways these drugs can harm people. So is this a result of prescribed drugs or a result of a combination of prescribed opioids and opioids bought on street corners? That would be uh, all comers. So that's going to be prescribed opioids used appropriately, prescribed opioids used inappropriately, and illicit drugs, heroin, fentanyl, and that kind of thing. All right. You, you wrote also in the column, another unfortunate truth is that even when our patients with chronic pain took these pills as we instructed, we caused far more harm than we anticipated. Many, by some estimates, 10% spiraled into addiction even though we had told, been told this would only happen rarely. So even if that 10% number is accurate, and that's the big number, that means does that mean that 90% of the patients who are using opioids as they're supposed to, as it's prescribed, are doing just fine, and the opioids are doing for them what they're supposed to do, and that is keep the quality of life reasonable? No, it doesn't, because you've sort of the assumption there is actually sort of a tacit implication in what you suggested is people are either addicted or they're doing okay. Uh, and it's very, very important to understand that the that addiction is not uh, not nearly uh, the only harm that these drugs can cause. So what else happens? Uh, you know the patient. Patient says to you, Dr. Yerlink, I have pain, chronic pain that I cannot live with. My doctor has tried all sorts of possibilities, all sorts of combinations of medicines. Nothing works for me other than the opioid medication. It allows me to function, allows me to live my life in a, in a positive way. Take that away from me, and I'm going to be a useless human being, or I'll be somebody who will get onto alcohol or go and get street drugs. You've heard that, I'm sure. Oh, I hear it all the time on, you know, in the media and on Twitter and from patients themselves. I mean, and it's a really important message. Doctors shouldn't just bat that kind of uh, anecdote away. We hear that there are tens of thousands of people, if not more, in Canada who have that sort of story, and, and they'll furthermore say, listen, I'm not an addict. I'm a legitimate pain patient. I take my meds as directed. I don't go to multiple doctors and pharmacies, and I sure as heck don't crush up and inject my pills. And so I'm worried that when we talk about taking, you know, taking opioid doses down, that I'll be forced onto doses that make me suffer. Uh, and uh, you know, why should I be made to suffer because of someone else's bad decision? That, that, it's a very, very important um, scenario. What do you say to that patient who now tells you that story, who presents that case, and who has a case to present, and is concerned because of what he or she has been hearing and reading, that governments and regula regulators are going to say, you're only allowed to have X number of milligrams of opioids, which falls significantly below what they're using now, which gives them ample and, I think, justifiable fear that their pain is no longer going to be managed? Excellent question. So the first thing is that no, no one's going to be prescriptive in what happens. There are guidelines that are coming out to help doctors care for pain patients better. But let me tell you what I would say. If I had a patient sitting across from me, I'd say to them this. I'd say, listen, I hear what you're saying, and I believe you, and I know that you are fearful and frustrated. But it's, it's really important to understand that the goal of using lower doses of opioids has very little to do with addiction. It's about trying to improve the quality of pain care. And, and, and it has its, the backstory is this. You know, we used to think that when people still had pain, despite being on opioids, the right thing to do is just increase the dose to overcome it, right? More pain, need more medicine. That's extremely simplistic reasoning. reasoning and some uh, doctors, unfortunately, haven't quite let it go. What we now know 
is that the benefits of opioids do not increase at higher doses, but, but the side effects do. And so, and critically, this is really important, we're learning that the side effects of opioids include things like depression and even pain itself. And so when a patient on high-dose opioids hear, hears these things and with a doctor's help can you know, manage to very, very gradually taper down to lower doses, they're often amazed by how much better they feel. Their pain is better, their mood improves, they think more clearly, and they often have a better quality of life and quality of sleep. It's only in hindsight that they realize that the opioids weren't making their life better, they were making it worse, and, and it was a matter of physical dependence that sort of tricked them into believing that, that this was a benefit. It was, it's a harm masquerading as a benefit. All right. Um, one doctor I asked about this, and I want to prep for this hour that we're doing, and I'm not going to keep you for an hour, <laughs> but uh, one doctor I, I spoke to um, said to me that if you don't, I hope I get this correctly, if you don't intercede with pain receptors in the brain and you don't intercede in a way to really shut down the pain receptor, it is going to be responsive to lower and lower amounts of pain, measurable pain. So if you don't have enough, in this case opioids, to shut down the pain receptors, they will become more and more sensitive. It's simply not true. I'm not sure who told you that. But it was an MD. Pardon me? It was an MD. Oh, listen, as I said in a moment ago, there are plenty of physicians who, uh, who have, I mean, to be very blunt about this, views about the role of opioids in the treatment of chronic pain that, uh, that not only aren't supported by data, they're, 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 they're contravened by what we know. Uh, and that little riff you've just delivered uh, has no factual basis at all. You know, the, 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 what is very clear uh, is that people quickly become physically dependent on opioids. Um, it's not addictive. It's, just, it's a normal adaptive response. Their body gets used to the presence of the drug. And so when they go without the medicine or the doses drop too quickly, which you should never do, um, they get sick, and they understandably, when they take the pill again, they feel better. They, they come to believe they need their medicine. They need the medicine because they have been on it, not because it's helping them more than harming them, which is actually the key goal of therapy. All right, Dr. Erling, we have about 30 seconds. Where are we going? Is there something on the market that is, a, that is a, an acceptable substitute that is non-opioid for dealing with pain? Are we headed in that direction? Where will I, we be five years from now? I sure hope so. I, I, I'm, you know, uh, what we we do need uh, better drugs for the treatment of pain. We need safer drugs. I mean, of all the opioids, of all the, the agents out there, opioids are probably the class of drugs that has the most unfavorable balance of um, harms uh, versus benefits. You know, they do work in the right person, but at, at low doses. I think that down the road, if a company can produce a, a class of drugs that is, you know, relatively safe and relieves pain, um, people will be a lot better off, and that company will do quite well itself. Appreciate the time today. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Dr. David Yerlich, uh, Yerlich, head of the Division of Clinical Pharmacology and Toxicology at the University of Toronto. He's also a professor in the Departments of Medicine, Pediatrics, and uh, Health Policy at the University of Toronto, and a key advisor on opioid policy to governments. Now, later on in the hour, we'll be speaking with Dr. Fiona Campbell, the president-elect of the Canadian Pain Society. She's an anesthesiologist. I love those multiple syllabic words, in the Department of Anesthesia and Pain Medicine at SickKids Hospital and an associate professor at the University of Toronto and co-director of the Pain Center at SickKids. Now, 1-800-263-2428. 1-800-263-2428. Do you use... Are you... Let me, let me change that. I don't want to say do you use because that sounds like something on a street corner. Are you prescribed 
opioid pain medication, or do you know someone who is prescribed opioid pain medication? And how important do you think the opioid pain medication is to you and your quality of life? How much do you take? You don't have to give us your, your real name. You can just give us an assumed first name. It doesn't matter. But how important is it to you that you receive opioid pain medication? I just find in the, many of the stories that I've heard and read, the patient is left out of the equation. I want to bring you into the equation. 1-800-263-2428.